isn't it? Thanks to all of you who are watching this message. If you are one of those who has to look at this face on a regular basis, you still kind of escape me. And if you are stumbling across this because uh, you're really scraping the barrel at the bottom of the social distancing, welcome as well. I hope you uh, can stay for a wee bit longer. My name is Jeff. I'm the pastor of Ards Evangelical Church and have been for about five years. We are a little church just based outside of Newton Arts in Northern Ireland and we've been working through the life of Christ uh, since Christmas time in the book of Luke and that hope had been to time it so we could start with the birth of Christ at Christmas and follow it through to Easter time and the death and resurrection. It's been difficult so we'll see how that goes. Everything is temporary at the minute, everything's up in the air. I don't want to make everything about the virus. Uh, I would like to try and go on as normal because to be honest, everything, all the talk, the more we talk about it, only increases my anxiety, I think, and maybe yours as well. So grab your coffee, grab your caramel square. If you have your Bible, grab it as well and open it up to Luke chapter 15. But first, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are a society and culture that loves having the answers. The internet has made almost all human knowledge available by simply asking Google. But we now live in a time where we don't have answers to almost every question. School closures, food supplies, toilet paper supplies. Father, these are questions we never thought we'd ask three weeks ago and we struggle not having the answers. We're so used to being able to find the answers and it's the not knowing that's so difficult right now. Yet we come to one who knows the end from the beginning. And when we say with Psalm 27, the Lord is the light, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So fathers, we come around your word together. May your word provide comfort. May your word provide help at this time. We ask this in your name. Amen. I love a good story. And Jesus was an expert storyteller. And in these chapters, we have a little burst of parables that Jesus tells to different people. The first three that we'll look at now is, is to the religious elite. Uh, the people he looked down on and uh, then he tells a final one to his friends, the disciples. In the first couple of verses of chapter 15, the religious leaders are grumbling and moaning all around and huffing. Why? Because Jesus is spending time with the people who needed his time. Uh, again, this isn't going to be about the virus all the time. You hear enough about it from people more knowledgeable than me. But I find it fascinating that Christ knew that you only had a little bit of time left on this earth. And how he chose to spend that time was significant. I think we can share this sense of priorities with Christ in these days. He chose to spend his time with the people that nobody else wanted to spend their time with. The tax collectors, the traitors to the Jews, the sinners, the scoundrels, the low lives. How dare Jesus spend time with them when he could be spending time with people like me. Religious people, people who have it all together, people who excel his reputation. But Jesus' response to these people was these parables and we know them as the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost sons. Here's what I think Christ wanted them to hear in each story. The reason I'm spending time with these people is because you don't. I have to do the job that you're refusing to do. You religious leaders have a responsibility to reach out to those in the greatest need and you're failing them. And so instead of tax collectors and sinners, maybe we could think about alcoholics, addicts. Maybe we could put in the disabled, children with learning disabilities, because some churches might say, well, 
We don't really have a place for someone like you. Like you can come, but just sit to the side. Don't really disturb everyone else. And so the Christians and churches with this kind of attitude, the message is the same as to those religious leaders. You're failing the people who need you most. Let's read Luke 15, verse 3, 7. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the nineteen and others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over ninety-nine others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. What's he saying? He's saying that the church leaders are to be pastors, shepherds of God's sheep. If the sheep gets lost, when then it's a feeling of the shepherd whose duty it was to look after. The sheep may know it's lost, but that doesn't mean it knows how to get back or that it's happy with the situation. It was accidental. It didn't mean to get lost. So the shepherd whose duty it was to care has to go and find it. The onus is on the shepherd. Christian, if careless words or deeds have caused the little lamb to go astray, then you need to try and bring them back. They may not know that spiritually they're in the right place or, or, or what, but if they don't know how to get back, they need to be led. And what joy it is when someone finds that. So Jesus spends time with the people that no one else cares for. Let's go into the next story. It's in chapter verses 8 to 10. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbours and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So Jesus ups the stake now. Instead of someone losing 1%, one sheep out of 100, now someone has lost 10%. A woman lost one of her 10 precious coins from her wedding celebrations. She was supposed to take care of it. They're very precious. They've got great value to her. She still lost one though. She didn't mean to. Again, it's careless. She has another picture of the church treating one of her own accidentally, carelessly. But this time, well, it's a coin. It doesn't have any thoughts. It doesn't have the ability to think and recognise the fact that it's lost. It therefore can't even do anything about the fact that it's lost. So the woman must take the time and effort to seek it out and find it and restore it. Again, sometimes churches can be careless and insensitive without even knowing. Perhaps as we come into Mother's Day today, there's someone in the church family and they're struggling to conceive or there's been uh, difficulties there. And yet so, so many churches, we, we flaunt our children, we celebrate them, which is right to do, but we can do it in a careless way and it hurts people and we find they're being pushed away. If some people go missing, go looking for them, may not realise that they're drifting away, but don't dismiss people, go out of their way to restore them. Then there's the longer story of the prodigal sons. It's a story of two sons, of course, the younger who went away and the older who stayed, but both put distance between them and their father. Verse 11. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. By the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. 
and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of man was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. And so the party began. So here's a different approach. This son's not like the sheep or the coin. This isn't about a church being careless or a pastor losing member of his church. This is a son who chose to be lost. This time there isn't a huge search. Any parent will know this struggle. You want to run after your child and pull them back in. But you also know that you run the risk of pushing them further away. So here the father says, I'll watch and I'll wait if when you come back. I'm going to run to you and embrace you. Sometimes people choose their sin over their closeness with God. Some people choose the path of the tax collector or the sinner, but Christ reminds us that the answer isn't to just wash your hands of them, but to eagerly embrace them if they ever show up again, to never stop loving them. In each case, we see something, that just because they're lost, they don't lose their value to the one who owns them. The first thing that the father put on this boy was the robe. Can you imagine putting on your best robe to this pig boy? He still smells like the pigsty from whence he came. He is filthy and sweaty from his long walk. Yet the father says to the servant, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. But shouldn't you clean him up first? No. You see, the father wanted his son to know that regardless of how dirty he is or whatever he has done, whatever the baggage, he is still his son. And the father wanted everyone to see him and recognize him as his son. Something you hear from many people who come to church who aren't saved is that they are trying to clean up their lives before coming to God. Well, once I straighten out my life, then I'll turn to Christ. Oh, once I get this issue resolved, once I break this chain, then I'll come. But if we keep waiting until we are perfect, we'll never come. Because the only way to clean up our lives is through the blood of Christ. This is where you probably click unsubscribe now. <laughs> you said, Jeff, you kind of had me hooked there until you started mentioning blood. That's just a wee bit minging. We don't really talk about being washed in the blood anymore. What we mean by that as a church is that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we come and we let go of the old life that we had, like the prodigal son did in this story. And God gives us a new life, a new start, a new robe, as it were. We don't literally get washed in the blood, but the metaphor is where the sin washes, uh, the blood washes away our sin comes from Revelation 1, which says, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The idea is that we can't clean up our own lives. Only Jesus can wash that slate clean and give us a fresh start in life. Folks, listen to me. The message of grace does, says it doesn't matter how long you've been away. It doesn't matter what you've done, how long you've been doing it, or what you spent your energies or money. And listen to me right now. There is a genuine thrill and joy when you make your way home to God. The point of the story is that heaven rejoices when people who are far make their way back because the parable is a comparison. The young son was far away, but the celebration is when he finally understands what it's all about coming back. The older son never left, but in many ways he was just as far from God. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, the field, he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father's killed the fat of calf. We're celebrating because of a safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. 
His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you never once refused to do a single thing you told me to, and all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you kill, you celebrate by uh, killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. He had, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's fine. See, the first son rejected the father's lifestyle at the start. That's bad. But here we see that the second son neglected the father's love. That's just as bad. Both have rejected key parts of the father, but at least the younger brother came to his senses. And I think that in many people in churches who are prodigal big sons, they stick out by working hard. They're happy when other people come back in. They think that they should be rewarded for not doing the things that these other people have done. That they should be seen as better children of God. But parents don't work like that. Our Heavenly Father loves us all equally no matter what we are or what we've been doing. He wanted to have preferential treatment for his works. I've been stuck here doing all this work and you've been now having a time of it that's not fair uh, and yet he was the one he missed out on the joy he wasn't able to say my, my brother was hurting him to come back he can only see himself and this attitude meant that he was as far from the father as anyone else he just didn't realize it but he thought he was missing out neither son realized or appreciated what it meant to be close to the father now remember who jesus is speaking to He's speaking to religious leaders who can't see the sinners and publicans around them as part of the kingdom. People who are lost needed to be found. Brothers who could still come home. Parables of four lost things. A sheep that wandered off, knew it was lost but needed help to get back. A coin that didn't know it was lost and needed to be found to be brought back. A younger son who chose lostness, he also had to choose to be found. And an older son, an invisible sinner in these parables. He not only didn't think that he was lost, but he mistakenly thought that he'd already been found. Just like the Pharisees and the religious elite, they looked down their noses of others. Don't think those kinds of people should have a part to play in the Father's kingdom. But the joy of the Father is best seen in the Son coming home. It's best seen in the coin being found, the sheep being rescued. Jesus is saying that these religious Christians, better to be one of these sinners and tax collectors who's lost and to be found and to know it than to stay lost and never realise now, I said there were four stories. We've done three of them. I'll do the last one in a few days' time. As for now, keep checking out the church Facebook page and website, and we'll do our best to keep you informed as best as we can. God bless you. I love you. And remember, stay safe. Stay at home. Wash your hands. Be safe. And when you can, be the church. God bless.